headlines, ladies and gentlemen. What is the latest headline that you remember reading? You don't even need to shout it out, just think about it. We live in a culture where you and I are absolutely inundated with headlines and things screaming for our attention. Some of you, in fact, are going to be leaving church today. Your mind might already be there right now. You're going to leave and you're going to go to Publix, so you're going to go to Kroger. Some of you are going to get a sub, right, a little, a little Publix sub. Or maybe you're going to do your grocery shopping. Does anybody do grocery shopping on Sundays? So somebody's going to be at the grocery store today. And when you get up to the checkout line, you're going to see a rack of about 15 different headlines that belong to magazines, all trying to get your attention. And the bigger, the better, the sexier the headline, well, the better for the magazine, right? Because it sells more copies. And that's how we interact with headlines. They want to grab your attention. If you're on social media a lot, well, you get inundated with headlines there as well. So that you can like something, so that you can comment, so that you'll post, so that you'll share, so that you'll love it. On YouTube, the, the, the better the headline, the more plays you get for the video. The better the headline for the book or the movie, the better the sales do. We have headlines. I should have done some research, but you and I get hit with some flashy headline, I mean hundreds of times a day. And what's interesting is that our interaction with this content and this information, uh, from my opinion and from researchers, it's not just a simple binary, I like this or I don't like this kind of interaction that we have with news and content and headlines anymore. The headlines that you and I read every single day are actually beginning to shape our culture as to what we value and how we value it. PR Daily is a, is a, is a news firm, and they, they did a giant study on headlines over the past, you know, 80 years, 70 years, and they, they, they generalized the shift in the news cycle and the news content that you and I received for two different things. And they said it like this. Headlines have changed over the past 30, 40 years from man walked on the moon to man tried to give a lion a hug. You won't believe what happened next. Which is a real story making top news cycles right now. Man tries to hug lion. You won't believe what happened. You're sitting here and you're like, I kind of want to know what happened. <laughs> right? Because we are getting conditioned. And what the article points out is that you and I are becoming subjects and we're becoming connoisseurs no longer of, of content that has significance, but what we call snackable content, content that has no depth, that has no meaning, it has ultimately no purpose. Let's be honest, what a man does hugging a lion has no bearing on your life, but you know what is significant to the world is a man walking on the moon. And you can see now how the subtlety of information and the way it's delivered and the way it's used to get your attention, it begins to shape what we value and how we 
value it. Headlines are great at getting your attention. But I have bad news. They are really terrible at telling you what's important. One of the most co- the common conversations that I have as a pastor is, is the tension and struggle that people have nowadays in finding their purpose and finding significance in who they are and what they're doing. And there's a correlation, church, in that if what we consume consistently, daily, sometimes by the minute, if what we consume regularly has no true benefit or significance to our life, is it then any surprise that the very thing that we struggle with is finding significance? Imagine a diet where you never gave yourself protein of any kind. Is it any surprise then that you struggle with having energy in any kind of muscle mass? Does the correlation make sense? That if what we consume never has any purpose and significance and ultimate meaning, is it any surprise that these are the things that we struggle with actually finding? See, the headlines of culture and what we will soon be opening up, the headlines of Scripture, The headlines of culture and the headlines of Scripture are at diametric odds with each other because we see two different pictures valuing two very different things. And what I would submit to you this morning as we begin this new series is that if you're sitting here this morning and maybe... Maybe you're struggling or you're, you're challenged or you're scratching your head on purpose and significance in your own life. Maybe you have graduated from college and you're kind of in that stage where you find yourself kind of wandering. You have this degree, but you don't really know what to do with it. Should I just go back and get another degree? Should I just go get my master's right now? I guess I'll just go do that. Or maybe you have a job and you really want a different job because the job you have just doesn't seem to scratch the itch of purpose. Or maybe your kids have grown up and they're out of the house and you're struggling to figure out what to do with your life now that you're not taking care of children. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're single. And you're trying to figure out where you fit in this big picture of life. And I'm not suggesting that we don't sometimes need a big shift or a big change in our life. Sometimes that's true. But what I would also suggest to you is that by virtue of the consumption of information that we have and the value system that the world is putting upon us, this conversation itself about significance and about purpose oftentimes is disjointed and dislocated from Scripture and from the very purposes of God. And so having this conversation in the first place is difficult because we're having to comb through decades of history of the world telling you and I what's ultimately important, and it actually isn't true. How about that? As my pastor would say in Orlando, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's what he used to say. <laughs> he can get away with that because he's seven feet tall and used to play for the NBA. So 
I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the text this morning. Can we do that? Father, would you help us? God, speak to us this morning. We are, we are hungry for your purposes in our life. We are hungry for more meaning in our life. We are hungry for significance in our life. God, we need some new headlines. We need the headlines of Scripture tattooed upon us, God, that we would live this life, the life that you have ordained for us, the life that we see in Scripture. This is what we're after, God. Would you help us to find it and to experience it and to walk in it today? Amen. Turn to the book of Corinthians this morning, church. Chapter 16. We're going to read from one of the most obscure verses probably in the Bible. And yet it's a verse that makes headlines. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, I'll give you a little context. It's the last chapter of, of this book of the Bible. It's Corinthians, but when I say book, what I really mean is it's a letter. It's a letter to the church in Corinth. My man Paul, who's the New Testament writer, he wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this letter that becomes part of the Bible. He writes 1 Corinthians and he writes 2 Corinthians. And these are his closing remarks. If you've gotten some, I mean, does anybody really send mail anymore? Except maybe the occasional birthday card. But when people used to write letters to each other, right? Man, your final words here, I mean, you, you better get them right. You better wrap this letter up well, especially if it's a love letter. You don't want to end the love letter bad. You've got to get this thing right. And so the closing remarks oftentimes are very important. And yet oftentimes we, we ignore what has to be said here. That's what Paul writes. He says, be on your guard, church. All the things that I've just said to you, let me surmise with this. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Be on your guard because there are, there, there are spirits and, and people that are, that are going to try to attack your faith. And by the way, stand firm in your faith. And what is that faith? It's Jesus Christ having died for you, for your sin, having rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. Stand firm in that. Don't doubt that. Don't quit on that. Have courage. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. Isn't that true, church? Aren't there so many things for us to be afraid of? I'm not saying that you should, but, man, there's a new fear, I feel like, that's knocking on my door every week. And it requires courage in this day and age. And then lastly, be strong and do everything in love. And then... Paul transitions into a portion of, of the text here that, if you're like me, you've not really paid much attention to it. He's telling the church to do everything in love, and then he begins to give a shout-out. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, to my man, Stephanus. You ever heard of that name? Probably haven't. Unless you named your child that, and maybe you're Italian or something like that. Maybe you know this name, but you probably haven't read about it as, as a man in the Scripture that somehow is the David and Goliath. This is his, he gets two shout-outs in all of the Bible, and this is the one. This is his walk of fame right here. 
This is what Paul writes. He says, in his letter to Corinth, he says, You know that the house of Stephanus, they were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Mm. Everybody say Stephanus. Now in your best Italian accent. I want you to say I want you to say Fortunatus. Fortunatus, right? My man was Italian, okay? Moved up from from well, I forget where he's from. <laughs> I need I don't have my notes right here. Stephanus Achikis and Fortunatus, they're part of the same household. And I won't get into all the, 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 the details of their relationship. I, we don't know for certain, but it looks like, looks like maybe somebody was a servant, maybe even someone was a slave. We don't actually know, but we know they loved each other fiercely. And here on Labor Day weekend, the very thing that Paul is honoring them for is their labor of love amongst the church. I love this. And it's so unbelievably simple. And yet Stephanus gets his name written in the Bible, not just once, but twice. In other words, this man has made headlines and we are reading about him for 2,000 plus years. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this letter and it's ordained and put in the Bible as we currently know it. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit said needs to be in the Bible is the little caption about my man, Stephanus. It's so small. And yet, his name is at the conclusion of the letter because he has been such a joy and a refreshment to Paul. I love that. Stephanus didn't fight Goliath. He doesn't have a David and Goliath story. He doesn't have a part the Red Sea moment. We don't see him raising the dead. We don't see spirits and demons being driven out of possessed people. We don't see any of that. Instead, what we see is a small glimpse into the life of a man who labored on behalf of God's people. And he did it so powerfully, so willfully, so joyfully that it refreshed every single person that he was around. So much so that God said, this guy's name needs to make it into the Bible. Isn't that amazing? If our church was the church in Corinth, if our church was a first century church and High Point existed in Corinth, what would be written about you? What would the Holy Spirit have to say about your life 
Isn't it, isn't it extraordinary? Paul says, hey, you know what, you guys? You need to honor and recognize this man. Oh, and anyone and everyone who labors like him, anybody who would put their life on the line for the benefit of others are to be honored. In fact, he uses the word submit. Now, this isn't the kind of submission like bow to your sensei, submit. No, this is like, this is, the, this is you opening the door for someone that you honor and respect. This is you, someone's older than you, and so you get the door for them, and you, you yield to them. You give them the best seat. This is you opening the door for your mother, your spouse, someone who is senior to you, and you do so out of respect because of who they are. That's the word that Paul chooses to use here. When he talks about submission, it doesn't mean that you would just do whatever they say or somehow that they have the power to command you to do whatever they wish. It's that their life is so compelling and that they've labored among you. Honor them. Open, open the door for this man. So what did he do? I don't actually know. I don't have a detailed record of what Stephanus Fortunatus and Achikas did, but here's what I do have. I'm going to read to you from the history of early Christianity at roughly just a couple decades later than this letter was written. The historian Ter Tertullian, he writes this, and I'm just going to quote what he wrote about the early church and his description of life there. He says, on the monthly day, if he likes, each puts in a small donation, but only if it be his pleasure and only if he be able, for there is no compulsion, all is voluntary. These gifts are not spent on feasts and drinking bouts and eating houses, but to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls destitute of means and parents and of old persons confined now to the house, such too as have suffered shipwreck and if there happen to be any in the mines or banished to the islands or shut up in the prisons for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they become the nurslings of their confession. Justin Martyr writes, same time period that we used to hate and destroy one another and we refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. So here's what we see happening in the early church. And when we talk about men and women laboring in love for the sake of another, for the sake of the early church, here's what we see them doing. They were generous to the point of painful sacrifice. They gave until they, it hurt. They helped children that were in need. They helped the elderly that were in need. They helped those who had been shipwrecked in need. They helped those who were working the mines in need. They helped those who had been banished to islands or in prison because of their faith, those in need. They helped those in need. And who was supreme among the bunch but Stephanus, excuse me, who labored among the people? We don't know exactly 
what he did. But we know it would have looked a lot like this. And it would have looked a lot like him rallying the troops and encouraging them, breathing life to them, helping them become strong in their faith and in the word so that they can live this life unto Jesus. What else did they do? They prayed. They prayed for their enemies. They didn't complain about their enemies. They prayed about them. They didn't have social media to just breathe poison and bitterness into every waking minute. They had the a capacity, in, because of the Holy Spirit, to pray for their enemies. What else did they do? They worked through difficult situations and difficult people, especially as it pertains to racial differences. Sound like we need some of that, don't we? They promoted harmony and unity. Stephanus was living a life that was so significant that God found it worthy to put his name in the scriptures. True significance is found when you choose to live for the glory of God and the benefit of others. In other words, I'll say it like this, because we wrestle with it a lot. Success is about me. Significance is about others. It's amazing what the world has piped into our psyche and our esteem as it pertains to purpose and meaning and significance. Church, if you want to find meaning and significance, get outside yourself and give your life away to somebody who needs it. And you will find yourself discovering new heights and new depths of purpose and significance like you've never experienced before. Proverbs 11.15 says it like this. It says that a generous person will prosper. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Well, that doesn't make sense. Meaning, a generous person will prosper. In my economy, that sure sounds like a generous person won't have as much as they just had. If I'm giving away what I have, how do I then have more? How do I then have this thing called prosperity? How is that possible? Because God's economy and the world's economy are not the same. And as we look for significance, we oftentimes, the world will tell you to make it all about you. Find a bigger house. Find a career that's paying more money. You need to move is what you need to do. You need to just, you need to just need a, you need a fresh start. You need to go to a new state. Just come on, just go. That will make everything better. If you just get up and go and, and hit reset like the old classic Nintendo, blow in the game, hit reset, and start over. But that is not what provides true significance. True significance is found when you choose to live your life in such a way that you bring refreshment to the people around you. Isn't that amazing? I haven't thought too much about my tombstone. But 
I'll tell you this much. I would love nothing more than for people to be able to say about my life that they were better off for knowing me. That by virtue of spending time with Pastor Andy, they loved God more. That they were more faithful. That they grew as a husband or a wife. That their children loved Jesus. I would love for my life to be the kind of life that doesn't take from others, but adds to others and gives to others and provides significance and it brings refreshment to the soul. When I was just getting started in, in ministry, I was a college minister like several of our staff here. Just getting going in St. Louis. And when you are first starting out in, in any kind of missions, oftentimes that means there's going to be a measure of raising money raising partners and so that was the case for me as well and so you know when you're first getting started it's slow going it's difficult it's scary to meet with people and ask them to partner with you to be a campus minister somewhere in the United States I'll never forget there was a, a family some family friends Scott and Catherine Williams they probably will never listen to this podcast <laughs> They'd been lifelong friends of my parents, and I'd called and I'd set up this meeting, and Scott was a lawyer, and he had just defended a case in front of the Supreme Court, which means, if you didn't know, you're not like a small-time lawyer. That's what we call a big-time lawyer. And I'm going to confess something right now. As a 20-year-old, I was thinking this is going to be the best meeting of my life. They have, they've got to have so much money to give away. I can't wait. I'm going to meet with them. I mean, he's a big shot lawyer, right? And I pulled up to their home. 150 Bogey Estates Lane. I remember the address still. And I immediately was not as excited as I once was. Because their house wasn't as impressive as I was expecting it to be of somebody who had just defended a case in front of the Supreme Court. And I walked inside. I'm confessing all of my sins right now before you. You know, and you, you, you make judgments on the outside versus learning to judge on the inside. And Scott and Catherine had this furniture that was, it was nothing to write home about. In fact, it looked really used and it looked really worn out. My excitement level for this meeting just continued to go down. <laughs> then I got to my presentation about what God had called me to do. How much I wanted them to partner with me and to believe in me. And, and this incredible thing happened. Number one, they were one of my first partners on my partnership team. But they said something that they probably don't even remember saying and that they lived so far beneath their means on a daily basis so that they could give as much of their money away to the kingdom, to missions, to scrappy, judgmental little punk campus ministers like me, to the church, to people that were in need, 
Scott would go on and he would teach at our church and he, he would teach classes and he would guest preach and here was a man who had a job and yet he, his labor of love was the church. Now I'll never remember one of, one of the years coming back I, they were always one of the first people that I wanted to meet with coming back from Tennessee because that's where I used to live to St. Louis, Missouri. You go and you meet with all your partners and you give them this ministry update. And the top of my list every single year was I wanted to meet with Scott and Catherine. Wanted to give them the update of what was happening. And one particular summer, I, I sat with them and I said, Scott, I'm wrestling with whether or not I should stay in full-time ministry, whether I should plant a church or whether I should pastor people. I'll never forget, he leaned in he said, you can get a job if you want to. You'll be fine. He said, but good luck trying not to plant a church. And good luck trying not to pastor people. He said, it's inside of you. You can't change it. And I felt my soul. It just felt refreshed. I was always anxious to get in front of them because every time I walked away, I felt like a greater person because of it. My soul felt refreshed in a dry and thirsty land when I was around them. The Jesus that had changed their lives, it poured out in such a way that it was like water to my own soul. They refreshed me. They were generous to me. And, and by virtue of their own refreshing me and being generous to me, guess what happened in their own life? They found greater refreshment and they found more generosity. They found more that they could be generous with. How is such a thing possible, church? How do we live in such a way like Stephanus or like Scott and Catherine or like somebody else that you know that every time you're around them, you just walk away and you say, man, I just love being around that person. It's just something about them, the way that they smile. They make me feel like a million bucks. They point me, whether they realize it or not, to Jesus. And I'm a better person because of it. We talk about making headlines. God was sitting around drinking a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning bacon and eggs newspaper out at the kitchen table as if somehow we're stuck in the 60s if that's what it looked like the articles that would be catching the headlines of heaven wouldn't be all the glitz wouldn't be all these huge things that are happening. It'd be the men and women, just like you and me, the brothers and sisters who labor in love for the benefit of other people, who give their life away in little ways. The cup of coffee for the friend, the cup of coffee to the stranger, the meal that you bring to somebody that's in need or having a difficult time. 
the phone call, thinking of you, praying for you this week, the text message, the cheering each other on. That's what makes the headlines of heaven. It's not these giant, big moments that you've got to get right. It's little moments lived out faithfully over your lifetime where you live for the glory of God and you live for the benefit of others. Success is about me, but significance, that's about others. And if you want to live a significant life, then give your life away. Small, medium, big, I don't care. Give it all the way. And see if you don't find yourself not without, but with more. More so that you don't even know what to do with. Because he who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. And he who is generous with others will find in himself prospering. so much more to preach today and I can't even get to it which means I'm going to have to save it for next week so let me leave you with this what if you lived every single day with the intent to make a difference in one person's life let's back that up what if you lived this week the next seven days with the intent making a difference in one person's life every day. Not some huge thing, but just a word of encouragement, a prayer, a coffee, a text, a new Bible study, a book that you bought them. Maybe it's somebody who really is in need. Go out of your way. Stop. Help the person whose car is having trouble. Help carry the groceries to the car for the person who's, who's struggling. Be an encouragement to the mom who's losing her mind at the grocery store with her 15,000 children. Why not? Why not live with the intent to make a difference? Because Jesus is the difference in your life. What he's done for you don't keep it to yourself. Give it away. Big or little. Just be faithful with it. Let's make headlines this week. Can we do that? Father, thank you. Lord, we love you and worship you. Lord, we desire for our life to count. Sometimes we, we get sucked into believing the lie, Lord, that somehow our life counts because we're successful in the way that the world values success. Or, or somehow that we have a certain amount of money or, or a certain job that allows for this or allows for that, when in reality, God, what we really need to do is to open our eyes to the needs of people around us. God, and where, we, where our heart doesn't love people the way you love people, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to love people well, to love people with strength, God, to love people fiercely, recklessly even, God, that we would step out of our comfort zone 
down, God, in the little things, in the big things, God, but that we would be faithful with what you put in front of us. God, that our lives would be a refreshment to everyone we come in contact with. God, old, young, married, single, divorced, college student, God, let our lives count. Help us to live for the benefit of others and the glory of God. We love you, Lord. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen. God is good, God is faithful, and God is great. In this Labor Day weekend, I want to encourage you, while the most natural thing to want to do is to not labor, (laughs) but I'm going to ask you to do a different kind of labor, and that's labor in love for God's people. Try it for just one week. Be intentional and see if you don't make a difference in the lives of somebody